It's interesting, sometimes I get texts in the middle of our service. And I often joke, it's my mom. She knows what I'm doing right now. And she did text me. But what's really funny is, a pastor friend of mine also texted me. (laughs) And he knows what I'm doing right now. But I trust him enough that I'm going to read this. Uh, Yeah, that's funny. Now my son's texting me. Hi, Matthew. Some people's children. So he said, I'm using this quote in my message today, and I felt like I was to pray this as a prophetic word over the spring. And I trust my pastor friend enough that I'm going, I like this. He said, God desires us to do a new thing. He does not want to just do the next thing. People can't do new things. We can just do the next thing. Only God can do a new thing. So Father God, thank you for my brother. And thank you for this word. And I pray that this morning you would do a new thing in this place. You would do a new thing in our hearts. You would do a new thing in our lives. I pray that we would walk out of here not pursuing the next thing, but we would walk out of here walking in the new thing that you are desiring to do in our lives. So Holy Spirit, you lead. We're going to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope. Hope. It's a simple four-letter word. This week would be the first week of, of Advent. And we are not what you would describe as a traditional church here at the spring. I would say we would describe ourselves as quite untraditional. But if you grew up in a traditional church, you probably saw something like this at the front of your church four weeks before Christmas. I can remember being part of our, the last church that we were part of. Uh, we were, the boys were little, and I remember being asked to go light the Advent candle one of the weeks. And that was a real honor. I mean, we got dressed up in our fancy fancies, and, and uh, I think I even wore a tie that day. I mean, you guys are lucky to get me with a tucked-in shirt, <laughs> let alone a tie. But it was, a, it was a very important thing. It was, quite, it was an honor for us as a family to be asked in a church that size to, to come and light the Advent candle. And so this morning, I'd like, to, I'd like to start us on a journey of Advent. I like the symbolism that Advent carries. I like the, the, what the candles stand for and the scripture that comes along with it. So this morning... I lit one of our first candles. It's a purple candle. And the first week, the first candle in Advent is traditionally called the prophecy candle. It's the candle that represents the fulfillment of God's promise of a coming Messiah. 
And so that's where we're going to begin this week. As we look forward to uh, four Sundays from now, and that would be Christmas Eve, and we're looking forward to Christmas, you know, we look forward to Christmas for a lot of different reasons. We look forward to Christmas because when we're a kid, why do you look forward to Christmas? Because you can't wait to get down there and rip those presents open. Well, I'm going to say we've got a present waiting for us. It's already here. He's already been here. And so I want us to look forward to Christmas and talk about this coming Messiah. So the first question that needs to be asked is, why would the world need a Messiah? Why do we need a Savior? What, what do we need saving from? Years ago, I got caught in a rip current in the ocean. I needed to be saved. If someone was in a burning building, they would need to be saved. If there was a severe medical emergency that would happen here this morning, we'd call an ambulance. And the paramedics would come. And what would they do? They would save you, hopefully. But I would suggest, and and I think that you probably agree, that there are a lot of people in our world today who do not believe they need a Savior. They're not in a position of peril. They don't have anything going on in their life that they feel like they need to be rescued from. You see, for someone to cry out for rescue, it first requires them to determine that they have a need. Admit they have a need. In my early teens, I was hunting with my father. And we were in uh, west of Chambersburg in the mountains there above Fort Loudoun. And we had hiked down into a valley that I was very familiar with. We had hunted there many a time. And my dad walked up the valley, and I walked down the valley, and we were separated by about a mile in this valley. And I I sat on a stump and, and hunted until it was dark. And right as it was getting dark, really, really thick, dense fog rolled down into this valley. And I didn't think anything of it. I was, I was excited about hunting. I, I was sure I was going to see something. I mean, it was prime time right before dark, and, and I was sitting there quietly. Well, when it got too dark to see, I gathered up my gear, and I confidently headed off to the truck. About 10 minutes later, I discovered, you know what? I don't know where I'm headed. It was so foggy that trees that I were familiar with, rock outcroppings that I was familiar with, nothing looked the same. So what did I do as a man? I kept on walking. Because <laughs> I knew I'd find the next, I knew, you know, in the next two minutes, I'm going to know where I am. I'll go right to the truck. And sure enough, 20 minutes later, I was even more lost. Had no idea where I was. And this was a mountain that I was familiar with. So I decided at that moment, you know what? I need help. Or I'm going to spend the night in a cold, wet, damp woods. So long story short, I shot my gun off three times, which in the woods you know that that's a, that's a signal that someone needs help. And uh, my dad heard it, and he, he shot. And what's interesting is I shot three shots, and I heard a shot. Because I was going though, I was walking entirely the wrong direction. I had no idea where I was. So about a half hour, my dad, uh, every so often my dad would shoot a shot. I would listen, and I found my way back 
just by listening to him. I needed rescued. I, it was hard for me to admit, partly because I'm independent, partly because I'm male, <laughs> but I didn't want to be rescued until I realized, boy, I need to be rescued. I needed help. So the first step in accepting that there's a Messiah or a Savior and He came to earth 2,000 years ago, the first thing to saying that affects my life at all is realizing that I need to be rescued. Now, why do I need to be rescued? This sounds very elemental, but we need to cover this at the beginning of the Advent season. Why in the world would I need to be rescued? Well, First, I'd like us to look at something that happened in Genesis chapter 3, and then a statement that Paul made in Romans chapter 5. We should all be familiar with the story in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the story of when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and the serpent, who was Satan, came and started talking to them. And this serpent convinced Adam and Eve that what God had told them either wasn't true, or he wasn't trustworthy, or he made them question maybe they hadn't heard God correctly. And the serpent actually talked them into disobeying God. And they ate the fruit from the tree. Now, why does that affect me? Why does that affect you all these years later? Sure, they messed up. That doesn't affect me, right? Well, if we read Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we see this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You know, this might sound harsh, but the truth is sin entered the world through Adam. And the penalty for sin is what? Death. Can I tell you a secret? We all have sinned. I have. You have. Your dear old mother has. The Pope has. All have sinned. Meaning, we deserve death. You with me on this? What's that mean we need? We need saved. We need a rescue. We need somebody to come and do something to save us from that death. And so all of mankind down through history has been, needed, uh, has been in need of a Savior. We've been hopeless. But God loved humans enough that He was willing to provide for our salvation. So we look forward to Christmas. It's important for us to look at the promises God made concerning that Messiah, that Savior. He was prophesied about in the Old Testament. The prophecy of a coming hope. The first mention, the first prophecy, the first promise of the coming Messiah is often missed. We often miss this. Because there's lots of other prophecies in the Old Testament, but we miss this one. If we go back to the story in Genesis chapter 3, we would see that it seems like this story is focused on Adam and Eve's mistake. They messed up. And then consequently right after it was their punishment. God kicked them out of the garden. They couldn't have fellowship with God the way they had before. It was going to be hard to to farm the ground. There was going to be pain in childbirth. There was all of these things that were punishments. And we could focus on these things that happened when sin entered the world. But there's a verse in there that we really have to get. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now this is God speaking to Adam and Eve. And there's a word in here that we really have to... I'm sorry, he's not talking to Adam and Eve. He's talking to the serpent. My bad. So he was talking to Adam and Eve, and now he turned to Satan. So this verse, he's talking to Satan. The word enmity here means this. In the original Hebrew, it means blood feud. It's not a disagreement. It's not a we agree to disagree kind of thing. It's not a I'm going to slap you upside the head and then we're good. This is a feud where someone dies. Enmity, blood feud, someone dies. Who are the participants in this blood feud? Satan, Eve, his seed, her seed, good and evil. God makes it even more personal. He, in this verse, is Jesus. He is the Messiah. What's he say? He describes how this blood feud's going to turn out. The imagery here is really important. What part of your body touches the ground when you're walking? Feet. Here's the imagery here. Satan will strike his heel. What God is saying is Jesus will sacrifice his humanity, right? Jesus came to the earth and he walked on the earth and then he went to the cross and died. Jesus is going to sacrifice his humanity. Satan will strike his heel. But what's the result of Jesus sacrificing his humanity? Satan gets his head crushed. So you see how this blood feud turns out. God is saying, Satan, you might have been able to convince Adam and Eve to sin against me, but I promise a coming Messiah who's going to crush you. That is the first prophecy in the Bible about the coming Messiah. All down through the ages, God's people had this looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come. Many prophecies. I want to spend some time looking at Isaiah chapter 9. It's one of, the, one of my favorite prophecies of the Messiah. In the beginning of the, the chapter of Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah is speaking to God's chosen people. And he's, he's going th- down through this list of things that, the, that his people have done. He's saying, you know what? You've made choices to rebel. You've turned against me. And because of that, you've suffered defeat and slavery. And it was a pattern For the Israelites, they would have times of following God, times of rebellion, times of walking away, doing their own thing, followed by defeat, slavery, heartache, and pain. But in the beginning here, he goes through a number of before and afters. If we would take the time to read, which I'm not not going to. But he talks about the reality of what life was like before the Messiah and what it was going to be like after the Messiah. Gloom and darkness before, light after, humbled and humiliated before, honored after, fear uh, of death before, life after, um, anguish and grief before, joy and rejoicing after. He goes on and on. He says all of these things. And so Isaiah is contrasting life before Jesus and life after Jesus. What's Isaiah saying? Isaiah is saying the Messiah changes everything. The Messiah changes everything i believe wholeheartedly when a human being has an encounter with the living god they walk away changed all down through scripture 
I've heard testimony after testimony of people encountering God and walking away changed. Those of you who were here Wednesday night heard me tell part of my testimony. And if you remember, at the end of my testimony Wednesday night, I said this, I was here, now I'm here. Jesus is the difference. I say that unequivocally before you. In my life, the man I was 25 years ago compared to the man I am now is because of Jesus and Jesus alone. The Messiah changes everything. He brings about change. Isaiah goes on to describe what the Messiah will be like. And I'd like to walk down through these quickly. So let's read our two key verses. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What does the Messiah look like? What will he look like? First of all, go back to the previous screen. For to us, a child. A child. A baby. This has always been interesting to me. Why wouldn't God send Jesus on a fiery white horse? Surrounded by the angelic hosts and all of these warriors defending him to come in and just wipe out Satan all once and for all. Why wouldn't God do it that way? A baby? You see, Jesus came as a child. And I think this shows us something really important about the character of Jesus. Something really important that we need to take on as one of our character traits. The King of kings and the Lord of lords humbled himself. He gave up his throne in heaven. He laid aside his crown and robe. He was born in a manger, wrapped in strips of cloths. What is the Messiah? He is humble. If we go back to those verses again. For to us is born, a child is born. To us a son is given. John 3.16 said, God loved the world so much that He gave His one and only Son. God gave up His only Son. How many of us would willingly do that? Particularly for people who have continuously disobeyed God. Continually rebelled against God. Why in the world would God give up His only Son for people like us? One word and one word only. Love. 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 What is the Messiah? He is a symbol of the Father's love. If we go back to that verse again, it says, the government will be on His shoulders. He will reign on David's throne. He will uphold justice forever. You see, Jesus was king in heaven. He was born a king. He claimed to be king. He was worshipped as king. When Jesus came to the earth, He established a kingdom. A kingdom that is everlasting, eternal, just, righteous, and peaceful. What is the Messiah? He is king forever. We go back to those verses again. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. 
In the original Hebrew, the word wonderful meant or means amazing beyond understanding. Wonderful. Counselors in those days were prized members of a king's inner circles. When the king had to make a big decision, when he wasn't sure what, which way he was going to go with something, he would summon his counselors because they were wise and they knew, and he, knew things and he knew he could trust them. And so he would summon these counselors. They were prized. And so the Messiah here would have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding far beyond earthly understanding. What is the Messiah? He's the source of all wisdom. We go back to those verses. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. When people read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's, it's pretty evident. There's something really evident about Jesus. Yes, He was a, a good teacher. Yes, He was a good role model. Yes, He was a loving, gentle shepherd. But you know what? He also healed. He cast out demons. Jesus spoke to the wind and waves and they listened. He spoke and he taught with authority. Jesus was powerful. What is the Messiah? He's powerful. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. These two words actually have to be separated and then put back together. By calling the Messiah a father, Isaiah was giving him fatherly attributes. What's a father do? Fathers take care of their children. They provide for them. They protect them. They empower them. They equip them. In ancient times when Isaiah would have written this, many kings called themselves the father of their people. Why? Because kings did that for their people. They protected them. They provided for them. They empowered them. They took care of them. But here Isaiah adds the word everlasting. What's Isaiah saying? Isaiah is saying the Messiah isn't just going to be a temporary father. One that lives, dies, and is replaced by another father. He's saying the Messiah will be the everlasting father. The one that lives forever. The Messiah is a father forever. Back to our verses. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One of the interesting things about when Isaiah wrote this, he lived in an age where peace didn't last very long. There were wars all the time when Isaiah wrote this. Neighbors would come and they, they would war against each other all the time. Peace was few and far between. And that is because it's an outcome of the human condition of what happened in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, that's where we started. Lack of peace was because of what happened in the garden. Peace was broken between humans and a completely holy God. And our sin separated us from God. It broke our relationship with Him. But you know what else it did? It caused a break in mankind. A break between humans. Let's face it, look at the world around us. We fight. We argue. We can't get along. We kill each other. We steal from each other. We lie about each other. Everywhere we look, it seems like the world is tearing itself apart. In our own backyard and around the world. All of this broken peace is caused by our sin. And you know what? 
I would guess every one of us would love a little more peace in our lives. Would you agree? Certain times in our life, we'd like a lot more peace than other times. But I think every one of us longs for peace. Jesus said this in John 14, 26, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Folks, I can tell you unequivocally, I don't think this. I don't surmise this. This isn't a subjective statement. This is the truth. The only way our world sees peace is through a man named Jesus. If we want to see peace in our world, it comes through the Messiah because he is the Prince of Peace. One last thing I want us to look at. We have to go all the way back to Isaiah 9 and verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. If we look at the world around us, just like I said, there's lack of peace. I think we'd all agree that there's lots of darkness. In fact, I would say there's times when we say we think the darkness might be winning. Because we see time after time after time, it seems like darkness piles up on itself. We see bad thing after bad thing happening in our world. And it would be easy for us to say, you know what, darkness is winning here. But that is not the truth. Those of us who have had an encounter with Jesus have seen the light. Can I get agreement for those of you who have experienced the light? You see, the light brings hope. If you ever hear about someone who's lost in the wilderness and they have to spend the night, almost every time when you hear them tell their stories, they would say, you know what? I just could not wait for that little speck of light on the horizon when I knew the sun was coming up. Light brings hope. And we have to understand that we carry that light. We carry that hope into a dark world that desperately needs it. Isaiah pointed forward to a coming Messiah. Isaiah hadn't experienced the Messiah yet. He was saying, here's what the Messiah is going to be like. Here's how the Messiah is going to change the world. Here's what the world's going to be like after the Messiah comes. You know what? We're on the other side of that. The Messiah already came. We know what the Messiah does in the world because we know what the Messiah has done in our lives. We have seen the light and we carry that light. The light of the world. The King who is wise, just, powerful. The source of peace. He's life. He's transformation. He's healing. Folks, the Messiah is hope. The Messiah is hope. I can't say this strong enough. But those of us who have experienced the hope of the Messiah, we have a responsibility to tell our world. We have a responsibility to be light in the world around us. Don't take that lightly. You're going to hear me say this every Sunday, probably, the next four Sundays. This is the easiest time of the year to talk about Jesus. If you've never shared Jesus with someone, if you've never shared your testimony with someone, I'm telling you, now is the time. It's so easy to bring up Jesus. Christmas has what in it? It has his name in it. Take the opportunity 
to share Jesus, to share the hope of the Messiah. Because our world is desperate for it. They're looking for it. They're longing for it. And they need it. Go be Christ. Go be Jesus. Go be hope. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for the promise of the Messiah. Thank You for the fulfillment of that promise of the Messiah. Jesus, thank You for the changes You have made in my life. I... I can't even put into words how grateful I am that you have become a part of my life and you have so radically changed me. Thank you. And I invite you to continue to change me. Continue to find the parts of me that need to be changed, that need to be gone, that need to be fixed, that need to be restored. I pray that would be our prayer collectively here at the spring. Father God, I pray that we would understand the responsibility of the mantle that we carry. The hope, the life, the transformation, the power that we carry within us. And I pray that we would not be shy this Christmas season to declare the hope that is in the Messiah, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday. See you Wednesday.